Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're considering the life of Matthew. His name means gift from God. When our Lord found him, he found a sinner, a tax collector who was a cheat, a thief, and a traitor, but who Jesus knew he could transform into a great man by his grace and receive as God's gift to his glory. You know, the question has to be, if Jesus sees me as a sinner, but then Jesus also sees what I can become, what my potential is, what I could be without my sin, the question is, what good is that insight if he does not have the power to change me? If he does not have the power that he expressed when he healed the paralytic man? If he doesn't have the power to transform my life? And the truth is, regardless of what is insighted, it is of no value whatsoever. It's a wonderful thing that mothers can see their rotten, spoiled little kid and look at him and think what a wonderful child this is. And, and no, this little kid could be something someday. It's wonderful to have moms that actually see the potential in you, but if they don't have the ability to somehow bring about the transformation and bring to the surface all that raw potential, what good is it? And what good is it that God can see the potential in us? And the question is, what is the value of all that goodness if you don't have the power to bring it out and to transform a life? What is the value of all that goodness if all that goodness leaves you with is a holocaust of evil that constantly spews out from people's lives? A holocaust of sin that ultimately degrades your life and will eventually lead to cast a person's life into hell. What good is it to see the potential in man if you cannot transform man? Well, there will be no good in it at all. But here's the comfort. Jesus has not only the power to forgive us of our sins, but Jesus has the power to cure us of the disease of sin as well. He has the power as a great physician to restore us and to reclaim us and to transform us into something wonderful. He has the ability to bring out from us all that he sees in us. And he has something more than that. He has the ability to put in us all that he is all of His goodness and all of His righteousness and all of His holiness and all of His power and all of His might. He has the ability to put all of Himself into us to transform our lives and to complete us and make us full and whole. And this is what Jesus has. And so when we read of the account of Matthew, and as you read in other accounts, you read that Jesus saw this tax collector, this sinner, but He saw him as God's gift and He named him that and that he called him to follow him, and that Matthew, we read, left all that he had, but apparently he didn't leave everything. Matthew kept his pen with him, the pen that he recorded all the money that he collected, at least the part that was due to the Roman government. He kept that with him, and Matthew went on to write the book of Matthew that we read. You read it. It's one of the wonderful Gospels. All kinds of people who've never even read the book name their children after him all the time, Matthew. It's all a testament. Every time you meet a little boy named Matthew, you see, Every time you open your Bible, the Gospels, or the New Testament, and you look at that first book, what you have in this book is you open it up and you see Matthew, and you understand that Matthew was a tax collector, a sinner, an evil man, a cheat, a coveter, a liar, a thief. What you have is a testament to the transforming power of God.
And the application is simply a question. Would you want Jesus to complete his transforming work in your life? He can. He can transform you completely and wonderfully. And here's what you have to do then. Do what Matthew did. Just leave all that you have. Make sure you've left all that you have to follow him. I know how this works. When I gave my life to Christ the first time, I gave Jesus all that I had. I completely abandoned my life to him. I, I went on further in my Christian life, and I learned again that I needed to come to a point where I really was living as though he were Lord of my life. I had to surrender all to him again. I won't tell you the story, but I can remember one of the great lessons of giving to him all that I had, where I had this certain item that I liked so much, and I didn't want to give it to him, and I knew that I should, and, well, you know, a friend of mine came and broke it. And after he broke it, I took it and I brought it back into my room and I put it on my bed and I kneeled before my bed and I cried and said, okay, God, you can have this too. Well, it would have been better to give it to him before it was broken. But the lesson was learned. I had to learn to give God all that I have. But I know how it works in our lives. Slowly, incrementally, things get into our pockets and into our hearts, into our souls that we cling to as our very own things. That we know God gave them to us and we love them. We know God has given us our children. The time comes when we find out that We've really forgotten that this child belongs to God and not to ourselves. Maybe in a time when God is calling them away, maybe in a time when they're rebelling from God, we realize we have to give them back. This all belongs to you. We have to give up everything to follow Jesus. There are experiences we've had in our life that accumulate that are painful and difficult and hard, even as Christians. And we begin to hold on to those experiences and they embitter us and they cause us to feel sorrow and pain. And we need to learn the relief of giving him everything again to follow him and to leave behind all of our preoccupations to follow him. And this is the life of the Christian. As we yield all to follow Jesus, we then experience the testament of God's ongoing, transforming power in our lives to make us all that we could be according to His glory. And so we understand Christ has an uncommon insight to realize He not only sees our sin, and we must confess it and recognize it, but He sees our potential. But seeing it all, He has the ability to make us and to bring out from us all that He sees within us. The third thing is this. Let's look at His calling as it comes close to Matthew, Matthew threw a party after that for his friends, a going away party. He was leaving his position, saying goodbye to all the friends. He was so happy with what had happened in his life. He wanted his friends to be exposed to that message as well. We'll consider that some more. But there Jesus gathered together with all these individuals to meet with them. And the Pharisees came around and they complained that there's something wrong, that Jesus was gathering together with these people. But you need to understand this was his calling. The whole focus of Christ's coming was this. Jesus Christ has come. Understand this. It's true today. He has come to heal the sick. He has come that the sin-sick person may be made completely whole. The sin that plagues our lives may be completely washed away. I hope you have this daily habit. A daily habit of confessing sin when you're conscious of it, when you're aware of it, when you realize what you've done wrong. The daily habit of going before him before you go to bed at night and making sure that you bathe yourself through his forgiveness. The daily habit of being in the word, the Bible says that the word itself washes us and cleanses us, and I think the reason is it loosens up the impediment of sin in our life by showing us and making us conscious where we may have grieved the spirit, and then it leads us to the blood, the cleansing life of Jesus to wash us. There's a great joy of going to bed at night and 
being able to do inventory of your day and laying before him the things you know you've done wrong and the things that you don't know about. But Lord, you know, I know that the accumulation of this sinful world has gathered around me the dust of sin and I just want to go to bed clean. You know, we have little children. Before they go to bed at night, we oftentimes check the soles of their feet because we don't want them climbing between the sheets with dirty feet. And so we take them and we gather them up, hold them in our arms, and we put water in that bathroom sink and we grab those little feet and we get them all washed and they laugh and they giggle because the water's cold and we, we scrub the dirt off their feet and then we take them and lay them in their bed to nestle them away for a good night's rest. Jesus Christ wants to wash us and cleanse us from the stain of our sin on an ongoing basis. And I encourage you to experience regularly the daily washing that comes from forgiving you of all of your sins and of him nestling you down to your rest between clean sheets with a clean life. Jesus has come to heal and to forgive and to cleanse. What limits Christ from being able to do this work in our life? What limits him being able to heal us and cleanse us? Well, what really limits Jesus is this, our failure to recognize our own need. Why was it that Jesus couldn't heal and cleanse the Pharisees? Because they didn't recognize their need. You know, I think when that paralytic was being lowered below Jesus and Jesus cried out and said, your sins are forgiven you, I think that that paralytic knew in a moment that that's exactly what he needed. He said, yes, this is it. This is exactly it. I need to be forgiven. I need above everything else, Lord, just to cleanse in my sins. This is my greatest need, forgiveness. I think when Matthew heard Jesus say, hey, come away from that booth and come follow me, that Matthew knew at a moment that this is what he needed. I must follow him. I must leave all I have to follow him. I must go where he goes. This is what I must do. But I think the problem with the Pharisees was this. They could never receive those injunctions. Forgiveness? Me? I'm a good person. I'm a righteous one. Mercy? Sick. Leave behind things to follow him? What should I leave behind? My good deeds? My good reputation? My standing citizenship? My opinion? My certain knowledge that I'm better than most of these other people? My loyalty to Israel? I don't have anything to leave behind to follow him. And therefore, I will leave nothing to follow him. And therefore, they left nothing and they did not follow him. And as a result, they were never transformed Here's the application for us. Do you have sins that need to be forgiven? Yes. Ask Him for it. Do you have mercy that you need to receive each day? Yes. Ask Him for it. Is there anything you should leave behind in order to follow Him? Then leave it. Leave it all. Give it up again, like we said, and receive and experience His transforming, healing touch. He'll answer His call. It's His call. Now, the last thing we want to consider is simply this. Jesus' main attraction. What attracted him? I like this scene of Jesus in this house of Matthew with these sinners, these people who are rejects from the society, and Jesus is perfectly at home and comfortable among them. Why do you think Jesus was drawn to these individuals? I think he's drawn to them because of the fact that they were sinners. He's drawn to them for the same reason that a physician is drawn to anyone or cannot walk past an accident but rushes to go and give aid. Where a physician is always ready to respond when the cry comes out, is there a doctor in the house? Jesus is drawn to these individuals because he's the doctor in the house and he's ready to deal and rush to the sick that are around him, the soul sick, the sin sick, in order that 
he might heal them. This was his occupation, you see. This was his preoccupation. He's drawn to people because he wants to make them whole. In particular, I believe that Jesus is drawn to these men, these sinners. He's drawn to those individuals who know they need a Savior. He's drawn to those who know that they need him. And let me just say this. Any person who truly knows his sin, truly knows it, also knows he needs a Savior. And Jesus is drawn to that person. Do you know what your sin is today? Do you know what it is that you battle with, the sin you battle with? That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, because if you truly know it, you know, you know you need Jesus. You know you need him, and I want you to know he's drawn to you. He's drawn to the person who knows he needs him. But there's another reason why I think he was drawn to that crowded room in Matthew's house. Not only because he's drawn to sinners like a physician is drawn to the sick, but I think he's also drawn to them because he saw beyond their sin their names. He saw them as Joe and as Levi and as Philemon and whoever was there, Susanna and Hannah and all the people that were there. He saw them and he knew their names. He knew their personalities. He knew them because he is the one who sculpted them with their unique individuality when he created them and made them. And he saw the man and the woman and the people and the humanity and the potential that was buried beneath their sin. He saw people made in his image, capable of living transformed lives to his glory. He saw sinners, yes, but he also saw gifts that belonged to God. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.